Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Yes, yes, and yes. Always. That's all we do, Forever and always. That's pretty much the only thing that I do. Yeah. I don't know about you. (laughs) It's true. You just react to me doing that. That's true. I react to you doing that, and then everybody says really nice things about me reacting to you yeah. telling stories. <laughs> I get a lot of feedback about how much people love Kevin's reactions <laughs> to the hours worth of work that I put into each episode. <laughs> but luckily that's just as delightful to me. That it makes is. me really happy because it's fun doing this with you, telling you stories. Well, it's fun doing this with you. Oh my I get told all the time that they love that you, how you tell stories, like how you tell a story. Well, that's nice. I heard that. That's I literally nice. heard that yesterday, actually. Wow. So I know. I know. Wow. What a day. What a time to be alive. I also, know. welcome to the like splash of new listeners in India, in yeah. Canada, in yeah. Australia. We had another little boom in the UK. So whoever's over there telling their friends to yeah. listen, we appreciate it. Hello and welcome to all listeners from yes. all over the world. We love it. We love having you. Yes. We're it's very thankful. Pleasure. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Well. My love, we must ask the first question. Yes. What are you drinking tonight? You know what? It's been like a hot day, like mm-hmm. an un, unusually hot day, and I am underhydrated. Mm-hmm. So I'm being a responsible adult, and I'm just drinking water this time. <laughs> you know, that's good for you. And I'm actually drinking it. Most of the time, the water's a prop. Yes. Like I bring it down here and do not touch it you for don't the whole touch time. It at all. Right. <laughs> or you you have a cup full of ice that you would chew on. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it just melts into water that you then still don't consume. Yeah, in any way. Yeah, <laughs> I need to work on consuming things yes, better. <laughs> it's the it's it's the com- consuming of the liquids that yes. makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Yes. What about you? What do you have tonight? Well, I decided to dive into your stash of the simply spiked peach, and this is the simply spiked strawberry peach. Ooh. And uh, I don't know if I've had this one yet. I. I thought that I did, but I took a sip and I was like, oh, this is, this is new. I don't think I I have. So maybe flavor. it was just a regular strawberry that I had the last time. And mm-hmm. I just don't remember it being just regular strawberry. Anyway. Or maybe you grabbed a strawberry lemonade one because we be. still have some of those in the fridge. Could be. Yeah. That might be what I'm thinking of. But either How way. How is it? It's great. This might mm. be my favorite one. Wow. I know. That's saying something. I know. Well it's done, Simply. Good. Well done. They just can't lose. They can't. They haven't made a stinker yet. Everything's the, been so good. <laughs> and the fact that they didn't take them off the shelves at all 
is a telltale sign that they're making pretty good money off of them. Mm-hmm. So good for it's you. It's a great guys. product. It is. Simply orange, simply spiked. Simply apple, simply, simply great. I mean ugh. simply lemonade, all of it. Simply is boozy. So magical. <laughs> Not sponsored, but Love, 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 love them. And if they decided they wanted to, we would not be mad about it. I would probably cry. <laughs> Happy tears. <laughs> but all right. Okay. Well, my love, you got a feel good fact for us this week? I do. Oh. So I don't know the date of this, but there was a stray dog in Georgia who took it upon himself to serve as a crossing guard outside of a local preschool. The dog named Kersha would stand guard while children would cross the street, sometimes even barking wildly at cars that would speed through the crosswalk or edge too close to passing children. <laughs> Every day the dog showed up. Wow. Without an owner? Without an owner. Just show, That's so funny. And just made sure that huh. the kids crossed safely. What a good boy. I know. Good job. <laughs> he better have been adopted. He, I sure hope I mean, so. Oh, he was stray. He was stray. Okay, yeah, okay, nobody, okay, okay. They couldn't figure that. out who owned him. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that he ended up getting adopted or that he was just like a kind of like we were watching the little rascals with the Mm -hmm. kids the other day. And Petey just runs around town delivering messages to the boys. (laughs) Like, I wonder if he's kind of like Petey where he's just like a community dog, you know? Yeah. He belongs to one. He belongs to one family, but everybody loves him (laughs) and yeah, would take him in in a heartbeat. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Everybody around town gives him treats. That's my hope for Kershaw that he had a home. Kersha, the good boy. Yes. Doing his best to keep everybody safe. Good job. All right. Well, my dear, you got a story for us tonight? I do. In fact, I may or may not have two stories involving true crime and bizarre coincidences. Okay. So we haven't done a compilation style episode I think since October. Yeah. Since spooky season. So I thought that, you know, it's been a while since we've done that. And uh, I just wanted to see if maybe this was something listeners would be interested in us continuing every once in a while, maybe throwing in a episode that's got multiple stories. And so that's what I've got today. Awesome. I'm excited. So let's jump in with our first story. Shortly after 2 a.m. on March 28, 1978 in Colorado Springs, a man by the name of Charles Clark was driving along a particularly dark stretch of road. While the road, which is called Academy Road, is a bustling street in the daytime, by 2 a.m., it's a pretty lonesome place. As he was driving along, a car carrying a young couple passed Charles at speed. And as they did, Charles looked down at his speedometer for just like a split second to check how fast he was going. Mm -hmm. In that split second that he had looked away from the road, he struck something. And when he looked in his rearview mirror to see what it was, he realized that he had hit a person. Oh, In total horror, he pulled his vehicle over and police quickly arrived on scene. Charles was extremely distraught, but insisted that he hadn't been drinking and that he hadn't been speeding and that he hadn't seen the person at all. Mm. And it wouldn't be long before new information would reveal that this was not the open and shut case that they first believed it to be. Mm. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. So when police arrived on scene, they asked all of the routine questions and had Charles take a breathalyzer test, which he passed with flying colors. Sure. Despite the fact that it was the late 70s, the technology behind the breathalyzer was still remarkably accurate at that Mm. time. But oddly, there was still the distinct smell of alcohol in the air noted by investigators. They quickly figured out that the smell was coming from the victim. Oh. Who would 
Yes. That is something I did not know. I'll get into that in a second. Yeah. So the victim would quickly be identified as 29-year-old Wanda Pearl Murray. And the smell of alcohol was, was coming from her body. So I didn't know this, but apparently at a death scene, if there's alcohol in the blood of the victim or the deceased person, you can actually smell mm. the smell of alcohol like in the air. Wow. Huh. I don't know like what the amount of alcohol, like blood alcohol content needs to be yeah. in order for that to happen. But apparently that's a thing that. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's I did not know that. New to me. I mean, you, you can. You can smell it on somebody if they've been drinking a lot Mm -hmm. and they just kind of walk by you. But for it to be present in the air outside for that long of a time, Mm -hmm. that seems kind of, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Hmm. So when Wanda was struck by the car, her body was dragged for a short distance, which caused there to be a notable presence of blood across the pavement. Oh. After looking over the vehicle, investigators confirmed that the story told by Charles was accurate, that he wasn't speeding, wasn't drinking, and just straight up had not seen Wanda in the road until it was too late. Mm-hmm. There was no damage to like the front of the vehicle or the bumper. She had been, yeah, oh. very, very important that they were able to determine that oh, right away. Oh, I see. So the initial yeah. hunch of the investigators was that Wanda had been drinking and had either wandered out into the road and fell down before getting struck by the car or that perhaps she was passed out in the road or mm-hmm. something along those lines. But either way, they believed that the whole thing was just a tragic accident. Yeah. Wow. Wanda's remains were sent to the county morgue, and this is where things started to get strange. When the coroner at the El Paso County Coroner's Facility performed an autopsy, he noted that while the internal organs had been severely injured from the impact, that there was no bleeding from any of them, indicating that Wanda had been deceased before she was struck. Oh. She was dead when Charles hit her. Wow. There was extensive external damage, as well as damage to her lungs, heart, and liver. Upon closer inspection, the coroner believed that there was evidence on the body that she had some level of blunt force trauma to her head and that there was a possibility that she could have been strangled. Hmm. The coroner sent off samples to undergo various tests to confirm this information and to rightfully determine a cause of death. But regardless, it was a startling find. And so the homicide department was informed of these findings up until that point. Wow. So four days after the accident, homicide detective... Joe Kenda and a small team from the homicide department returned to the scene of the accident to see if they could gather any more information. Unlike the night of the accident, it was a bright and sunny day. And thanks to the fact that it hadn't rained since the night that Wanda was killed, the crime scene was actually pretty well preserved, Hmm. including, unfortunately, I guess, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, the long smear of blood across the street was still there. The blood evidence revealed that Wanda had been laying partially in the driving lane at the time that she was struck. They also recovered a bank statement with Wanda Murray's name on it. But as far as evidence goes, that was about all they had to work with. Detective Kenda whittled down the most logical options as to what had happened to her and believed that Wanda was either walking alone on the dark road around 2 a.m. when someone happened upon her and then decided to assault and then murder her Mm -hmm. or... And this one made more sense to Kenda that given the dark and deserted nature of this road at 2 a.m., that maybe she was killed elsewhere and then dumped Mm -hmm. along the side of the road for someone else to find. Yeah. And kind of given the fact of where she was laying, she was partially in the road on the edge. Kenda believed it was also possible that she'd been dumped like directly out of the car, like pushed 
yeah. out of the passenger seat and onto the road. Yeah. Perhaps as like a panic move from the killer, but he couldn't be sure until he learned more. Yeah. And so he needed to figure out who would want to do this to Wanda and why. Mm-hmm. To attempt to answer these questions, detectives would need to learn everything they could about Wanda Murray, and they needed to do what they could to piece together her final hours of life in order to ensure that justice would be served. They started by visiting her last known address, which was in the home of Reverend James McMurn and his wife Mary. The couple was kind and helpful and informed Kenda that Wanda had a troubled background. While she was in high school, Wanda got pregnant with her first daughter. The stress of raising a child when she was still a child herself was extremely high, and Wanda had no other option but to drop out of high school. Mm. She went on to have another daughter and to get married, but life would throw more punches at Wanda, leading to her and her husband getting divorced. Lacking much by way of support or healthy coping skills, Wanda turned to alcohol, which escalated her troubles. When she was sober, Wanda was full of joy and full of life, but when she would drink, it was like a switch would flip and she would begin to behave erratically. Mm. Sadly, it was this that caused her to lose custody of her children, and her ex-husband had relocated to Texas with them a few years before Wanda's death. In the years that followed, Wanda would be in and out of prison on charges such as shoplifting, and according to Mary McMurn, Wanda just couldn't catch a break and hardship seemed to just follow her yeah. everywhere oh, she man. went. It's really heartbreaking. It was really sad. It was during her time in prison that Wanda met the McMurns. They would routinely visit incarcerated women and spend time with them and offer them encouragement and care. When they met her, both the Reverend and Mary noted a certain sparkle in Wanda, and they could both tell that despite her hardships and some of her criminal activity, that Wanda truly had a kind and loving heart. Mm. When she was released, Wanda moved in with the McMurns, who offered to sponsor her during her parole period. Wow. They truly cared about her and wanted to do their part to help her get back on her feet. Yeah. But with her criminal record, it was next to impossible for Wanda to find work which left her feeling as hopeless as ever. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this arrangement wouldn't last long because Wanda started drinking again. Oh, man. Anytime she drank, Wanda would go through severe and sometimes aggressive mood swings that began causing friction between Wanda and the McMurns. Mm -hmm. And shortly before her death, Wanda was asked to leave once her parole period was up. Wow. It was believed that she was living with her boyfriend, who was Air Force Lieutenant Luther Brown at the time of her death. And so quickly, Luther became a person of interest. Yeah. So they looked into Luther right away. When they pulled up Luther's record, it was revealed that there had been several military police reports filed over at Peterson Air Force Base. And all of them were regarding domestic issues. Mm-hmm. which led them to wonder if Luther had been harming Wanda and if he potentially had the capacity to do worse to her. Yeah. But when they talked with Luther, it was learned that he was the one who had filed the reports oh. against Wanda. Yes. Just like the McMurns, Luther was happy to have Wanda move in, but as soon as she started drinking, she became a totally different person. Mm-hmm. The violent outbursts and mood swings started back up, and it hit such a fever pitch that Luther had asked her to move out the day of her death. Oh, man. Yeah. So she she was just out homeless, basically. Pretty that much. Night. Yeah. yeah. She didn't oh. really have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. On the evening of her death, Luther was on base and had a verifiable alibi. And so he was no longer a person of interest in her death. Mm-hmm. But he was able to give investigators the name of another person they could talk to. On the night that she died, he believed Wanda planned on going out for drinks with her friend. And this friend was named Dee Dee Smith. 
So they went and questioned Didi, who told a similar story as the other friends had. That Wanda was great until she drank, and that on the night that they were supposed to go out, she was, like, clearly distressed about her breakup with Luther. Mm-hmm. And from the minute that she'd arrived to Dee Dee's home, she was, like, exceptionally wild, like, exceptionally, like, kind of out of control. Yeah. And Dee Dee had established this with Wanda already that I don't go out on weeknights. Mm-hmm. Like, we can hang out and talk for a little bit but I'm not going out tonight. Mm -hmm. And so she did get the invite, but she declined and told Wanda to have fun, but be safe. And this was the last time that the two friends would speak to each other. Oh man. From there, investigators went to the last known place that Wanda was seen, the cloud nine nightclub, which is a spot in Colorado Springs that had a reputation for trouble. Hmm. I don't know if it's still there or if it still has the same reputation. Sure. But in the late seventies, it did. It sure did. Hmm. So many officers in the area had responded to a whole slew of emergency calls from the club. From shootings and stabbings to fights, it was so bad that it earned itself the nickname The Knife and Gun Club, which that's not really the name you want nicknamed of your club. That wouldn't wouldn't be great. That it (laughs) this is not it's this I know what you're saying isn't funny, so forgive me if this sounds a little bit too dark humor, but it's (laughs) just makes you think of like SpongeBob SquarePants and the episode salty where he splatoon. wants to get into the salty splatoon. So people literally go there to be tough. Yeah. And uh that's that's what my mind goes to in a less funny way. Right. But it's just like there people go to that place. Obviously, at that point, you go there because you're trying to prove something. Not potentially it's like your favorite place to go. Or it's maybe not, drinks are really cheap. Maybe that could be too. That's fair. Maybe drinks are cheap. I'm always willing to look at it from all the angles. You yeah. could it, this could be a salty splatoon situation. Yeah. Or it could just be that they've got, you know, one dollar beers. Yeah. You know, something like that. So the investigators went to the club before hours to speak with their security guard, a man named Willie Hicks, who, despite working at a shady nightclub in the evenings, had a pretty clean reputation thanks to his work as military police Hmm. on the Air Force base. And so investigators immediately trusted his insights. Yeah. I've got a friend who was military police. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. It's it's like you don't get into that by being shady and by being like you are very trustworthy. You're very objective. So Mm -hmm. that's matter of fact, all that. Yes. So they asked Willie about Wanda and about her time on the night of her death. Willie said that she was at cloud nine with her friend Faye. Faye's abusive ex-boyfriend, Kevin Milroy showed up and began harassing Faye. And so Wanda tried to like step in and help her friend. And when she did that, Kevin allegedly threatened to kill Wanda. Oh, like back off or I'm going to kill you. That kind of thing. Oh, geez. He was then kicked out of the club. And while he looked like a viable suspect for a minute, Kevin didn't even have a vehicle. And the timeline Mm -hmm. from her being in the club and then being found in the road didn't line up. Sure. Okay. And so they just had to keep digging. Yeah. Kevin wasn't actually a, an actual suspect for very long. When more employees at Cloud9 were questioned, investigators learned that once Kevin had left for the night, Wanda continued drinking and having a good time at the bar when suddenly a well-dressed man that nobody recognized came up to the bar and ordered a beer. From that point until the bar closed around 1.45 a.m., Wanda and this mystery man were chatting and flirting, and the pair were seen leaving together in his car around closing time. Hmm. As investigators worked to figure out who this man was, they got a surprising call from the coroner's office. 
Once all of the labs were complete, they learned that a heartbreaking and shocking coincidence was the explanation for Wanda's untimely death. It turns out that, unbeknownst to Wanda or anyone around her, she was diabetic. Oh. The night of her death, she had drank too much alcohol for her body to handle, which resulted in her body experiencing hyperglycemia and going into a diabetic coma, which shut down her organs and stopped her breathing. This condition, coupled with like excessive alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. also offered a crystal clear explanation for Wanda's erratic behavior every time she drank. Wow. Her body simply couldn't cope with the alcohol in her system. And without medical intervention, it eventually became too much. Yeah. Investigators believe that the man she was with didn't hurt her at all. But when she went into a diabetic coma and died shortly thereafter, that the man panicked and pushed her body out into the street, not knowing she would be struck by a car just minutes later. Wow. Initially, after learning this information, police attempted to dig deeper into this guy's background so that they could charge him with something like unlawful disposal of human remains or something like that. But the request was denied by the court. Sure. So it wasn't a violent homicide, but rather a heartbreaking coincidence of an undiagnosed medical condition that closed the case on the mysterious death of Wanda Pearl Murray. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That is really sad. Yeah, that one's really heartbreaking. That one feels like all of the worst parts of humanity all like compiled into one. mm -hmm. Because it's like if she had had access to medical care, she would have gotten the diagnosis. Yeah. And she would have been able to be treated. And that would have been something where they would have said, hey, alcohol is not a good option for you, at least at this time or whatever. They would have been able to give her a healthy and helpful lifestyle, you know, insights and advice and direction. And it's like, no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't get Mm. ahead. You know, it just feels so human. And it just makes me sad. She was only 29. Oh, geez. Yeah. She's very young. Yeah. Yeah. That is really sad. But it's just such a bizarre coincidence of like, and the timing is so strange. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that one, that one's a huge bummer. That one makes me just like, just think about life's consequences Mm. and just like things that you can't control things that, you know, but being mindful of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So not to be And it's like another layer of like compassion mm -hmm. towards someone who is struggling with any specific substance. Right. Where it's like, it was actually the fact that she was yeah. diabetic, that it was causing such strange, like right. behavioral oh, issues man. with her. And like, she didn't know. Right. It was, it just seemed like she it was just correlated. Thought she had like extreme reaction to alcohol, mm-hmm. but I mean, she did, but it wasn't that simple. It was. Yeah, exactly. So wow. that one's really sad. Oh, this next one is sad. not quite as, it's still sad, but it's not like that sad. Okay. For our second and final story, we're going to travel down to the Miami neighborhood of Halea. In December of 1983, the body of a man was discovered, but the initial investigation was halted by a rainstorm. After sweeping the scene again, a cryptic note was found that would send investigators on a mission around the city to uncover more clues. But what they would be left with is one of the strangest coincidences in modern true crime. This is the story of the liquid Matthew murder. Hang on, Kev. Mm. This one is also a doozy. Okay. Okay, so let's start this story out by talking about the area where the body was found, which was in the community of, I've seen it pronounced Halea and Hylia. Mm-hmm. So this is a large city within the Miami metropolitan area. 
It has a population of over 223,000 people as of 2020, and it has a significant Hispanic population and is among one of the largest communities of Spanish-speaking people in the country, which oh. I thought was cool. Yeah, that's really little cool. little fact about the area. Yeah. It's also home to the legendary Hylia Park Racetrack, which doubles as an Audubon Bird Sanctuary and is on the National Register of Historic Places. Hmm. And one more little fun fact. And then we'll keep going. But Halia is actually the place where Amelia Earhart said her final goodbyes in 1937 before she left the continental U.S. for her ill-fated and mysterious final flight. Wow. So huh. this area is packed with rich culture and history mm-hmm. and is v- like a just a unique spot in sure. the United States. Yeah. So on, what, what state is this in again? This is in Florida. It's in, okay. it's in Miami. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a city within Miami. Got it. Sure. On Tuesday, December 6, 1983, a pair of joggers came across the body of a man laying face down in a parking lot. At first, they believed that he was either asleep or perhaps under the influence of something and maybe passed out. Mm -hmm. But they quickly discovered that that was not the case and that the man was deceased. They quickly called police who roped off the area. But before they could get a look around the crime scene, a thunderstorm rolled in, which delayed the investigation considerably. Mm. But thankfully, they were able to quickly determine that the cause of death was strangulation. Oh, wow. The man had also been pretty severely beaten, and they also believed that the time of death was shortly before the discovery of the body. I'm not sure how they determined that. I couldn't find why, but I'm just going to guess that it was... To do with rigor, to do with lividity, sure. like all of those yeah, yeah. sort of indicators that you would look for. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. Also, this is like strangulation from, and to be fair, uh, this could be me remembering something said on like an episode of Criminal Minds. However, I'm going to still say, because I think it, it still holds weight. Strangulation is like one of the most personal yeah. ways that yes. someone has been killed. Like you don't just like... <clears throat> strangle a stranger for no good reason like well there's never a good reason well yes to correct. strangle someone to death y- yes but i do but, know what you mean right it's because you're usually looking just, them in the eye yes there's something about it that's like very personal to the killer mm-hmm. that's like so this it can be someone who's a stranger but it's a stranger handpicked for a specific reason right is kind of the the yeah. way that it's explained in, yeah in those kinds of circles so that's a good already the setting here is like very intense. Yes, immediately. So the police returned to the crime scene the following morning. So this was Wednesday, December 7th, and continued to search for any evidence that might help them figure out who killed this man. Shortly into the investigation, they were able to identify the victim as Francisco Patino Gutierrez, who was a seaman from Cuba who had arrived in Miami two weeks prior on a Panamanian cargo ship known as the Nira. There's virtually no additional information about Francisco. Oh. Like as he was in life, which yeah. I hate when that happens. Yeah. In these stories, I love being able to like talk about who yes. they actually were. Yeah. But it is a good thing that they were able to get a confirmed ID on the remains. Meanwhile, one of the investigating officers, police technician Terry Anderson, decided to go back to the crime scene. As he continued to look around, he noticed something. About 15 feet away from where the body had been discovered was a no dumping sign. And on that sign, someone had taped a piece of paper that was tucked inside of a plastic bag, like a sandwich bag. Oh, huh. Anderson took the bag off the sign, opened it, and discovered a damp piece of paper that had been folded up. It would be this note that would send Hylia investigators on a bizarre Sherlock Holmes-esque quest for answers Mm. for the next couple of weeks. 
Wow. On the paper, neatly typed, was a riddle. It read, quote, once you're back on track, you'll travel in the night. So prepare your old self for a terrible fright. Now the motive is clear and the victim is too. You've got all the answers. Just follow the clues. End quote. Oh my gosh. That's spooky. Very eerie. Yes. I don't like that at all. Me neither. It's like, that's, that's like horror movie, like maybe campy horror movie, but still horror movie kind Mm -hmm. of stuff that like you do because you're absolutely unhinged. Mm -hmm. So it feels fictional. Yeah. It's Uh, one of those things we've talked about this when, when you and I are discussing like story mm -hmm. and how a lot of the times really whimsical fiction is more believable than like something crazy like this happening in the real world. Yeah. Like it's like, I would, I don't believe I can accept the Shire. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely accept that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I can't accept that somebody wrote a riddle at a murder scene. That's so strange. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sounds uncanny. Like it's Mm -hmm. too, it's like a, it's, it's too, uh, like on the nose. Yeah, exactly. So, well, okay. So when more investigators learned about the riddle, they checked previous crime scene photos. And sure enough, on the 6th, they clearly could see that the bag was present at the crime scene at the time of the discovery of the body. They Mm. could see like the no dumping sign in the background and the baggie hanging off of it. So it was there. It wasn't placed there after. Wow. So now the hunt was on. It was the last line. You've got the answers. Just follow the clues that got their wheels turning. Clues. Like mm-hmm. plural. So they decided yeah, yeah. to go on a hunt for more clues. Lead investigator Walter Philbrick, who was a homicide detective, did not know what to make of this strange clue, but he knew someone that would love to get his hands on a clue like this. So he handed the note over to Sergeant Dave Miller, who was a rookie homicide detective at the time. Hmm. And Dave Miller really loved mysteries. Like he loved mystery stories mm-hmm. and mystery books and stuff like that. So this was like right up his alley of something that like his brain yeah. would know how to process yeah. it. Within an hour of venturing out in search of more clues, he found another note. Hmm. Less than 10 minutes away from the crime scene, there was another bag with another type note taped to the back of a speed limit sign. The second riddle read in part, quote, yes, Matthew is dead, but his body not felt. Those brains were not Matt's because his body did melt. For Billy threw Matt in some hot boiling oil to confuse the police for the mystery they did toil. Here is where Billy dumped oil from the drum and poured liquid Matthew every drop till it's done. Now Bill, it is said, never winced at this once, but pleasurely filled the canal with the dunce. End quote. Wow. It also made mention of a canal near a, quote, sickly new place. End quote. So now there was a little bit of confusion on the part of the investigators. They never found even the slightest evidence of a liquefied body at the crime scene. And the man that they had found was named Francisco and not Matthew. So immediately the concern was that there was a second victim that they needed to be looking for. And this second note pretty much confounded all of the progress that they thought that they had made on the investigation into Francisco's murder. There truly was a mystery afoot. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Miller thought for a minute and on a hunch decided to go check out a canal near a hospital, a sickly new place, which was the Palmetto General Hospital. As investigators searched the area, they came across a patch of some kind of oily substance and there in the muck was a bone about the size of a pencil. The bone Hmm. was quickly sent off for analysis at the lab. 
Stumped and concerned that there was some twisted homicidal poet on the loose in Miami, Sergeant Miller contacted the Miami Herald and asked them to run a story covering the case in their Sunday edition. Yeah. He asked them to urge anyone with information regarding this case to contact him directly. It was also at this time that the case was given the nickname The Liquid Matthew Murder. Hmm. They stated that police in Hylia were unsure whether they were dealing with an extremely strange case of some psychopath like flex like flexing yeah. on them. Yeah. Some like intellectual prowess moment. Mm-hmm. Much like David Berkowitz, kind of like Son of Sam kind of thing, or whether they'd fallen victim to like a poorly timed, very strange prank. Right. But they assured the public that they were taking the case very seriously and that they were most definitely going to continue pursuing any and all leads in hopes of solving it. Jeez. They included reprints of the two riddles as well. So the public has the riddles to look mm. at. Shortly after, a third note was discovered taped to another traffic sign, but I haven't been able to find much about what it said. Hmm. All I could find was that it said something about Ted stalking Susie, which made no sense and seemed like unconnected yeah. to the investigators. So they kept looking. That is the one downside of them putting the the notes in the public. You risk copycat yeah. stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And oh, gosh, that would just make me so so tedious to have to like go through if if that starts becoming a thing you get all these random riddles taped to random signs and you have no clue which if any of them at all are connected to the right. case you're digging into right. oh i hate that so much me too oh. unfortunately there was no shortage of murders in florida that year in 1983 there were 1193 murders in the state of florida but there was no story quite like the one that was unfolding in hylia mm-hmm While investigators anxiously waited for a useful tip to come in from the public, they continued to theorize as to what the notes meant and if they contained any more clues that they could follow up on. Sergeant Miller formulated his own theory. He said, quote, My own theory is that this, referring to the notes, doesn't have anything to do with the murder, but I'm not sure. Hmm. There are a lot of weird people out there, end quote. Not wrong. (laughs) Not even a little bit wrong. They re-examined the third note, which led them to another location, and lo and behold, taped under a bus bench nearby was another plastic baggie. But before they could get their hopes up, they discovered that someone had swiped the note out of the bag, and so they were left with another dead end. That is until the writer of the notes came forward on his own volition and confessed. But he didn't confess to murder. Hmm. Instead... He offered an explanation for the notes that people didn't see coming. An unidentified Hylia youth pastor came forward. No way. He told them that as part of a Halloween event that his church hosted along, like alongside of three other Dade County churches for their youth groups two months prior. No way. So for the occasion, he had written four sets of clues for four sets of spooky but fake murders for students to like play detective oh, no. on. This was an annual tradition, but that year the macabre scavenger hunt was ruined by a severe thunderstorm and the clues were left behind right where he had placed them. He initially kind of thought nothing of it and then eventually forgot about the clues altogether. Yeah. Until he read the Sunday edition of the Miami Herald. Oh, no. It just so happened that the clues were uncovered at the scene of a homicide, 15 yeah. feet away from a deceased body. 15 feet. Oh, that's all. That's so much worse. And that the wild goose chase that the detectives had been on for nearly two weeks was just that. Yeah. A wild goose chase. 
The youth pastor was not fined for littering. Just as a side note, they made sure to let everyone know that in the follow-up edition (laughs) of the Miami Herald. But that still doesn't answer the most important question. Who murdered Francisco Patino Gutierrez and why? Right. When investigators took a closer look into Francisco, they learned that the cargo ship he came in on was loaded with cocaine and that he had allegedly been caught with 11 pounds of Colombian cocaine after a police raid. From there, the theory is that once any number of cartels got wind of the bust, that they weren't happy about it and decided to kill Gutierrez for his mistake. Yeah. It was also learned that another man from the same cargo ship, who is sadly unnamed, was also discovered in the same area as Gutierrez. Hmm. This man had been shot to death and dumped in a canal. While the theory that the murder of Francisco Patino Gutierrez was drug-related has never been officially proven, the case was closed on December 19th, 1983, and that's the official explanation. Hmm. Which is an extremely likely explanation given the state of the drug wars, specifically Mm -hmm. in Miami at the time of today's story. Yeah. The Miami drug wars raged between law enforcement and various drug cartels in Miami in the 1970s and 1980s, with some of the more famous incidents, including the cocaine cowboys, two Miami drug lords named Sal Muglata and Willie Falcon, Hmm. when they smuggled in more than $2 billion worth of cocaine into Miami from Colombia. And it ended with a crazy shootout. And we can't talk about Miami cocaine without talking about the infamous Medellin cartel Mm -hmm. headed up by none other than Pablo Escobar himself until the decline of the cartel in the late 1980s and its eventual collapse in 1993. Yeah, I just got goosebumps just thinking about that. I know. (laughs) At the height of its power, the Medellin cartel was raking in upwards of $100 million a day. $100 million a day in the 90s, in the 80s. I do have to say that those numbers have been reported on a pretty, like with a pretty broad scale. Like I've seen 60 billion or sorry, 60 million and a hundred million and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Either way, a lot of money a day (laughs) per day, more than 80% of the cocaine that was being smuggled into the United States was Escobar's cocaine. Wow. It's estimated that they smuggled upwards of 400 kilos or just under 900 pounds of cocaine in a single trip, which would net the cartel somewhere around $10 million per trip. Per trip. They were highly organized, <sighs> heavily armed, and deeply devoted to the task. And while the exact number of murders at the hands of the Medellin cartel is unknown, it's estimated that they were responsible for somewhere around 4,000 homicides in the less Jeez. than 20 years that they operated. And... Each of the crimes was unspeakably violent, Mm -hmm. from hitman-style shootings to gruesome stabbings and handfuls of gut-wrenching bombings. There were truly no limits and no lengths that the cartel wouldn't go to in order to further their cause, leaving so many victims in their wake. I feel like if we ever, just a side note, if we ever do a whole telling of Escobar's story and like the Medellin cartel and all that, it Mm -hmm. would have to be like an eight-part series. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. It's so crazy. There's a lot of history that plays into it. A lot of legend. Yeah, legend, political um, motivation. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, a lot yeah. of government uh, conspiracy from multiple governments. Yeah, it was wild. It's crazy. It was a crazy, crazy. time. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what we have here is an extremely strange, nearly impossible coincidence. Yeah. That the body of a murdered man just so happened to have been discovered near a two-month-old murder mystery riddle. 
And while Gutierrez was far (laughs) from the only victim of violence in the Miami drug wars, he may be one of the most memorable. Yeah. And that is what I have for you today. That, okay. It's so impossible. It is. Well, I think about my mom has done those murder mystery parties in the past. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since since she's done one, but she's done them. And it's kind of like if she were to do that and someone at the party turned up dead. Yeah. It'd be like. This is not supposed to happen. Like knives out. <laughs> this is yeah, yeah. It's like knives out. Yeah. Just yeah, way too crazy and out of nowhere. And just some very unlucky youth pastor who mm-hmm. thankfully didn't even get fined for littering or mm-hmm. for anything else that could have been. Because I, I wonder how questionable that is today. Right. If someone would get in actual trouble even for doing that as like a game. Mm-hmm. You know, that can that can lead to some unreasonable panic. And wow, that is really, that is a crazy coincidence. You are not wrong. I, Good grief. I have sat in our home contemplating the odds <laughs> of something like that. And it's so crazy. Yeah. That that would just so happen to be mere feet mm-hmm. away from an actual homicide. Right. Crazy. Crazy, With crazy. so much time between where any of those could have been picked up. Mm-hmm. Like just. Or washed away yeah. or blown away or yeah. snatched by by a raccoon. I don't know. Yeah. What kind of tape holds yeah, up I know. For, for two months in a city that gets bombarded with tropical storms? I know. Like, it's crazy. That is wild. So, yeah. Wow. Two very, very unique stories. Yes. Both sad. I will oh, say yeah. the first one was definitely more like heartbreaking sad. Um, but both of them are sad. There's a lot of like, oh, that's just so upsetting to hear about someone who'd been murdered and his the entire case to figure that out. Yeah. Got delayed by so long because of. Over of, a game, a two month old game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's really sad too. Yeah. I, I was surprised. Like I do get why that is a likely scenario. Like. Why Mm -hmm. the official explanation is probably accurate. Yeah. But I do think it's strange that he was strangled because of of what I've learned from anything regarding specifically the Medellin cartel. It is highly possible that it was not somebody from the Medellin cartel. Could have been any number of different ones. Mm -hmm. They rarely... I, from, from my understanding would opt for something like strangulation. They yeah. would, they would opt for something that would send a message. Yeah. Um, a very clear mm-hmm. message that this is what happens when you mess with our system. Yeah. And a strangulation feels so personal that yeah. I'm like, did someone else on the ship do it? Like, yeah. did, did it have to be one of the people transport? Like, you know, I, I'm curious and we'll never have the answer. Right. Unless whoever happened to have done it was ever to come forward and confess right. to it. But yeah, I am curious as to why strangulation was the method yeah. that that they chose. If it is in fact cartel related. Yeah. And it, yeah. So anyway, I'm rambling now, That's but okay. yeah. No, 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 Yeah. I know what you mean. It's, there's, there's some unanswered questions. Lots of unanswered one. questions. Yeah. I hope that his remains were sent to his family. I hope he got a proper burial. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that one, that one has a, uh, there's a whimsy to it that's kind of like puts you on the edge of your seat for a mm-hmm. minute. And then when you find out that it was all just a silly game and that kind of overshadowed yeah. 
the actual like yes. real tragedy. I know what you're saying. There's yeah. like a bleakness to that where I'm like, gosh, that just feels so like almost dirty. Yeah. Like, mm, I don't, yeah. But it is a legendary case. Yeah. For that reason. Of course. I'm not surprised. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. If you haven't already, please make sure that you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Good Good Pods or whatever it might be. Make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And that you leave a glowing five-star review. Say the nicest things ever that you've, like you've ever said about anything yeah. in your life. And thanks to everyone who's already left really kind yes. messages and really nice reviews. I appreciate yes. that. Yeah. Those reviews do help other people who listen to these kinds of podcasts to find this one. So you're doing it to help a friend out. A friend you may not even know from across the world, like in the UK or wherever else. We, yeah. uh, we get a little, little bump in listenership. Also, make sure that you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at This One Is A Doozy. We're also on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. And you can also connect with us even more directly through Patreon. My love, you want to tell us about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow our link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod on the site or the app. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Mm-hmm. Subscribers over on Patreon get access to all of our episodes ad-free, as well as up to two, sometimes maybe, depending on the weeks, even three mm-hmm. bonus episodes a month that are exclusive to Patreon. Yep. And you get access to polls where you can help us decide every once in a while on episode topics and each month on which organization we'll be giving to that will support victims of violent crime and their families. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it. Go join us over on Patreon if you haven't already. And and if you do, we've got another episode coming for you this uh, coming Monday. Monday. Otherwise, we will see you next Thursday for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.